Section three of The Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three Sleepy Hollow. I think that if one seriously considers, as I have done, the relative genius for domesticity of the three nations, France, Germany, and England, one is bound to place France first and England last. My readers will certainly think that I am preparing a laboured epigram, but no, I am deeply serious. In the land of my birth, the sloppy opinion prevails that the English home is the focus of all domestic virtues, that the Englishman's castle, containing the Englishman's fireside, is inexpugnable. Granted England's preeminence in the art of le foyer, it is then grudgingly admitted that Germany comes in a good second. But France, the country of restaurants and long collage and Christmas spent in the streets, as among booths and merry-go-rounds at a fair, is supposed to be absolutely innocent of any domestic fibre at all. I who speak have been one way and another considerably at home in the family circles of members of all three nations. I know the free whisky and come in after dinner of England well enough. The after does not spell reserve so much as meanness. And whereas the real German Hausfrau does now and then permit people to drop in, I have only once known a chance visitor admitted into the French family circle even after dinner. Relations, of course, crop up insufferably enough at all times in France, mostly into one's bedroom, but relations only prove my contention. In England, as we all know, even relations do not invade the Englishman's fireside with impunity. The Englishman, besides, is more or less safe from this form of intrusion, for he is, as a rule, on quite bad terms with at least two-thirds of his relations, and does not acknowledge or candidly ignores the other third. I have seen an Englishman pass his own first cousin in the street, not because he had any grounds of a quarrel with him, but simply because he did not know him. And when pressed, he lazily explained that, through some quite usual circumstance, their ways of life lay apart. I have myself been introduced at a London dinner party, to a brilliant and popular male cousin who had been deputed to take me into dinner. My hostess was simply in the hurry and bustle of a London life, unaware of the relationship. Why should she know? She had never met this relation of mine at my house, but she was quite au fait of the people she was in the habit of asking to her dinners. She knew that I was neither Scot nor Jew, and could be counted upon therefore to be easy about family ties. My newfound cousin took me in, and we chatted pleasantly through our allotted span of intercourse, and parted quite good acquaintances. But I have never seen him since. I did not want to. Neither, I suppose, did he care to carry on his acquaintance with me. We were both busy and undomestic people, that is to say, of English extraction, both of us. 
as i said in england in mayfair it provoked no comment whatever but if such a thing could happen in germany it would be considered at least a romantic or even disagreeable incident there would be a suggestion of some story behind in france it certainly could not happen at all no french hostess would have run her head into a noose she would before asking me to her house have made it her business to learn which of my relations i was on good or bad terms with she would be quite sure that i could not in the nature of things have been as in the case i have just mentioned on no terms at all for instance once in paris at an evening party at the house of madame ten the widow of the historian i was presented to an old bediamonded vicomtesse bearing a well-known and honoured name of the faubourg saint-germain i was not thrown at her head irrespective of consequences just because i happened to be the nearest person to the seat where she was sitting oh no there was some social reason for my introduction but i was first of all solemnly warned that this old lady was not on terms with her daughter-in-law another vicomtesse of a well-known name this was as well as the daughter-in-law had been in her green youth spent in england a school companion of mine of course madame ten could not have been expected to know that but she took no risks and cleverly saved the situation in advance this was in cosmopolitan paris in the provinces well let me say speaking as one who has sounded the very depths of french provincial life a la balzac that no one who has not done so can have the very slightest idea what it is like you may think of the dullness the impenetrability of it all as you think of the primeval forests of the amazon described by joseph conrad and more recently by h m tomlinson only it is a forest of undistinguished people as like in the main as one ombu tree or one branch of liana to one another there is a waterway through these family trees as there is through the forest depths of the amazon you are perhaps staying at one clearing and you take a car and drive to visit some settlers at another you get out of the car you march up the well-raked over carriage drive leading to the house and ascend the four or five well-tended steps and are introduced into the salon you have no idea as you go in how many families each with separate interests are going to be congregated on the floor of that salon there it is the family or families sitting up on its ugly stiff chairs monsieur home from business he begins work so much earlier than his english confrere that he is well home by the early afternoon grand-mere perhaps and surely a belle-mere or two then the belle-fille bored and incomprise with all the household cares taken off her shoulders so that she may the better emotionally attend to her children then there is the engaged couple there is pretty sure to be one engaged couple or more and even the engaged couple must sit intensely chaperoned in the common sitting-room must take a part in the feeble banal conversation that manners prescribe 
when strangers invade the sanctity of the home. These people are undoubtedly educated, they are often clever, they may even be original. But amid this terrible massing of communal interests, what individual could let him or herself go to the extent of demonstrating that cleverness or originality? It would be too communally dangerous. Each member of the junta listens to the other, and as elsewhere, least said, soonest mended. Another feature of this intense domesticity is that the visitor has no means of distinguishing the parentage of all the check-bloused and bare-legged and yellow-booted children until the usual incident of play occurs and the baby with the pin that is running into it or the boy who has been giflé by the girl runs stormily crying to its own mother to be as stormily comforted. Now, as to that small point, I have never seen a German baby cry like an English or French baby, or seen a German mother let herself go in the same hysterical way. A German Mutterchen, one is almost tempted to think, is not addicted to the slightly selfish Latin passion for her own child. There always seems something rather communal about the maternal attitude towards the kinder. And German children are not so universally present. I suspect that the reason is that although they are not so hysterical or naughty, they are rougher, more like little animals, less presentable, in fact. You rarely see the children if you go to pay a stiffish call in Germany. You see the person you have asked to see and perhaps no one else, just as you do in England. They give you tea, just as they do in England. The fact that it is a sit-down tea does not stultify and make it formal, since the eatables are of the lightest and airiest description, and uncomplicated by the tedious demands of ravenous little children. And the conversation that accompanies the meal, if inclined in the provinces to be heavy and unillumined, is still conversation, the exchange of ideas, and individuals may and do assert themselves in argument. You pay your more formal calls in the morning, and you stay just twenty minutes, keeping your card-case in your hand. You are as stiff yourself as you know how to be, and that is not very stiff, and then I suppose the worst of that is that they think you are an amiable lunatic. On the other hand, when it is your turn to sit up and receive calls, you think, if you have not been properly drilled and informed, that the people are exceedingly frigid and disagreeable. I could not think why Mutterchen, who naturally knew the ropes a good deal better than her daughter-in-law, seemed so well pleased with the visit of the Herr Professor and Frau Professor in C, who came on sunshiny morning to pay me a formal call. Footnote. It was really a wirkliche geheime Regierungsrat and his wife a geborene Freifer von O. J. L. F. M. H. They sat on the very edge of the city and talked to Mutterchen, who speaks quite good German. I sat beside her, keeping my needlework in my hand, which I afterwards found I ought not to have done. 
and tried valiantly to add airy ungrammatical nothings to the very vapid conversation that was being held in my honour that was the point yet nobody took up a word i said except mutterchen who seemed all the time on thorns and to be trying politely to bring me into the conversation bad grammar halting sentences and all after a session of exactly twenty minutes the pair rose with a handshake of the stiffest to musician and a curt nod to me the lady of the house i was boiling with rage and said to joseph leopold if this is the way the fatherland welcomes alien brides i think i could have dispensed with the visit of the greatest gun in k as you say he is why the wife snubbed me to death she hardly threw me a word very slowly joseph leopold removed his pipe from his mouth they took you for my mother's companion he said and a very cheeky one at that putting your word in every now and then and going on with your sewing that was a mistake but the whole lamentable incident was joseph leopold's fault for confusing mutterchen and me in his introduction of course mutterchen looks ridiculously young in the afternoon i went to tea with frau l and relieved my mind by telling her in bad german all that had befallen me on the occasion of the first visit that had been paid me i ought to have put myself forward she said and put my work away i had looked too humble frau l had been in england and she realizes how different things are there then when the mistake was cleared up i was asked to a formal cafe clatch this is a tea-party in england a five o'clock only in germany it is always at four and the guests are expected and endeavour to be punctual to the minute it lasts till seven and people bring their work i have attended such parties both in germany and in belgium the ceremonial is very much alike in both countries i will not attempt to describe one item of the polite procedure for in every book about germany you meet a description of that business of the favoured guest and the sofa platz my mother impressed on me when my marriage first took me to germany she had been an old resident in my new country that whatever else i did when i first began to go out there was one unpardonable sin and that was to take Platz uninvited however as a bride the phrase bitte meine frau wollen sie Sofaplatz nehmen sounded pretty frequently in my ears the rest of the proceeding surely cannot have altered much since eighteen sixty when my mother cultivated german society at dusseldorf in the first place no men attend as in england but unlike england men are not expected to attend and are not complained of at every future occasion there are no teacups to be seen in the drawing-room but what i should have called a nursery tea a stout tea a thick tea is set out in the dining-room on long tables covered with spotless white tablecloths the table centre has generally been embroidered or put together by the hostess in some cases very much as a bird's nest is put together of the most heterogeneous materials 
and it is proper to admire it. The pièces de résistance are one or more great open torte, pastry crusts filled with fruit and jam and schlagzahne whipped cream. The white-aproned maids run about handling cups of tea and coffee poured out by the hostess and cream to put in it and sugar. Others dispense the prodigious cakes I have described and any amount of smaller ones to fill up the gaps. That is why there are no gaps in Germans. They are so adequately filled. And the ladies sit for an hour. Then they troop back into the dining room and more needlework is done and more gossip spoken and more Zofferplatz business. About half past six Everyone is marshalled back into the dining room for beer. Then home with your useful afternoon stitching and your violent indigestion, at least for a person not acclimatised. Official dinners, even large family dinners, are very ceremonious and the food is very good. And instead of getting away from a dinner in time to go on to a dozen routs and receptions and dances, as one does in London in the season, a German hostess expects to entertain you till about four in the morning, or else her party is not counted a success. Such a lot of pounding backwards and forwards to a dining room there seems to be. At least my ideas on these social peripatetics are a little confused. One of my most frequent hostesses had been in England, had stayed with me and my mother there, in fact, and was bitten with the English way of doing things. She especially approved of the English custom of the retiring of the ladies, and this is the way she managed it. The gentlemen rose when the ladies did, and followed them into the drawing-room as usual in Germany, but they did not, in Frau B.'s house, stay with them for the rest of the evening, as the German habit is. Footnote. I should like to point out that this is the normal custom in good French society, where the gentlemen escort the ladies to the salon and then return to the dining room for a short interval. J. L. F. M. H. End footnote. No, they went back to the dining room and kicked their heels there for a bit, and I dare say they found the innovation very annoying. But Frau B. is a determined little person, and the spirit of novelty is working in her. It is usual for the whole party again to troop back to the dining room towards the small hours to consume beer. You never get very far from beer in a German menage. Frau B has a neighbour, a neighbour who does not care about English habits, but is pushed by her strong spirit of emulation to ostentation and display. She had adopted the plan of giving a bowler at the end of a party, instead of the milder intoxicant of beer. And so Frau B, after her very good dinner, insisted on giving her guests a beuvle, and a very elaborate beuvle too, which she had compounded herself in the course of the day. Herr B had not expected it, and when the fat yellowish mixture was produced, looking for all the world like egg julep that I wash my hair with, his face was worth seeing. He knew how strong it was. 
egg flip or noggin with arrack in it and a dozen other fierce ingredients and behold it was he who suffered i heard him suffer perhaps all the other men suffered i do not know i happened to be staying in the bee's house at the time and although i did not see heavy till late evening of the day following i am convinced that he nearly died poor man it was not his fault but lynchon's he did not ask for egg flip only for mild beer but once it was there he could not refuse to make himself hospitably ill with the rest this lusty power of occasional intemperance and the endurance of its brief condign punishment is a useful note in the german temperament most drunk is soonest cured to vary the common proverb the continual daily indulgence in luscious and humour-forming foods and drinks is i really think the raison d'etre of the teuton's immense and comprehensive system of summer cours the germans over-greased digestive organs are the counterpart of those of the abstemious constipated englishman it is the moral incommodity of the latter that he is born without any very strong pleasure in eating it is his boast that he can eat anything so long as he can get his teeth through it this is a perfectly true boast and one that suggests great strength of character but unfortunately the true briton cannot also persuade his weak gastric juices to attend at the behest of his strong will and he whose mouth has never watered before he ate has never profited by these tricksy fluids which are only evoked by the apprehension of the toothsome morsel benighted man he prefers nice plain food not messed up as my mother's north country cook phrased it that is to say not prepared in a way to provoke the enjoyment that would cause these so recalcitrant juices to flow on the continent where the belly is as god and who shall say unrightfully so one comes across people who go to the other extreme and overeat themselves but even these professors of the sin of enormity do not seem to suffer from the permanent indigestion as the ascetic patient plain cook written english seem to do the englishman of means is of course able to visit cours freely to get rid of his christian burden of indigestion trotting mildly along esplanades and parades he meets middle-class thrifty germans come there likewise to profit by the healing waters of their own land does it however occur to any of my ancient compatriots to think that in so doing the teuton is both eating his cake and having it the englishman fares to homburg or wiesbaden sadly drearily to try to modify the results on a poor moral body of a moral regime self-prescribed the german goes happily heartily to be finally and absolutely cured of a plethora of enjoyment of a year's whole-souled gormandizing at homburg or wiesbaden they meet they walk backwards and forwards for a month or so in company 
imbibing the dreadful water that tastes and smells like rotten eggs, but when all is said and done and digested, the foreigner has his 330 good dinners to the good. And entertaining in Germany is not always dinners and overfeeding. I have been to many little friendly evenings to which the invitation ran, Will you come in to roulette and beuvre? Then, more often than not, the little reunion gives occasion to another kind of excess, more in harmony, perhaps, with our English idiosyncrasy. Germans, many of them, are great gamblers. The German Hausfrau legend dies hard, but I know of two German Fraus who permit play on these occasions and one who, not possessing a roulette table, allows her friends to bring their own roulette cloth and win her husband's hard-earned money away from him. She sits serene, to outward seeming at least, while as host her man takes the bank, which always in private houses must lose in the end. Footnote. This, of course, is nonsense. In German houses, the host practically never takes the bank, because the bank invariably wins. On the evening to which our author more particularly refers, the host, unfortunately for himself, was playing against the bank, a modification of the martingale invented by myself, which, however, I never had the courage to put into practice. J.L. F.M.H. End of footnote. Would the guest who sprang such a mine on a quiet, unsuspecting hostess in England ever be asked again? No. And I'm sure that no English hostess was ever as sporting as Frau B, who sat there through the long evening, presiding at the roulette table and over another little table as well, placed at her elbow and supporting the famous Beauvle, which was the clou of the evening. Beuvler is a delicious beverage, a cup composed of spices and Rhine wine of any kind. It is iced, and served in little glasses that the attentive host, rising at intervals, fills for you. It is strong, far stronger than the claret or hock cups of England, and you can get tipsy on it quite nicely. The appearance of Beuvler on the domestic hearth, and advertised in restaurants, my Beuvler, Beuvler, in large capitals, scrawled in by the waiter, is said to usher in the spring season in Germany, as the tap-tapping of the drums of the recruits does the autumn. Does not everyone remember the frigid siphon of England? Got in from the chemists round the corner with the garish, unharmonious, coloured paper label denoting the place of its provenance or else the homemade lemonade or barley water for the ladies, the ugly, unattractive whisky bottle of fretted glass that is provided, under protest, as it were, for the men. The ladies, of course, never touch it. A little siphon, please. One hears the murmur as they are putting on their wraps to go. In France, after dinner, there are no drinks at all. There is tea, and there are tisanes. There are no droppers in with roulette boards. There are no droppers in at all. By ten o'clock, family life has closed in hopelessly on its unprotesting victims. But Sleepy Hollow, 
is a very good touchstone of domesticity. I wish to put on record my conviction, my knowledge, in fact, and I fancy even Joseph Leopold will let the assertion go unchallenged, that there is no such thing as an easy chair discoverable on the whole continent. On that particular account, England romps in an easy first, and almost spoils my present contention. But no, the true inwardness of the easy chair lies deeper than domesticity. It affects the brain of the three nationalities. Meredith noticed it. He actually made it the criterion of power of English and German brains. English people hardly realise how far George Meredith's genius was a product of his early training, and how his general view was affected by it. He spent a great part of the days of his youth in Germany. And if we read Beecham's career, we can see how that country impressed itself on him. We can observe the results of German scholarship in his style, his style that some people like and others dislike so much, without, however, discovering that it is partially at least a result of his German studies. The quotation I give is from one of our conquerors. Quote, Have the Germans more brains than we English? Unquote. This is the simple question which preoccupies the genius who, like other geniuses, is of no country. He goes on, quote, The comfortable, successful have the habit of sitting, and that dulls the brain more even than it eases the person, ellipsis. The English, their sports, their fierce feastings and their opposition to ideas, and their timidity in regard to change and their execration of criticism, as applied to themselves, are a sign of a prolonged indulgence in the cushioned seat. End of section 3